Well, good morning. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to a new book called Daniel. We've just got through with our study with Habakkuk, and that leads us right, time-wise, right into the book of Daniel. So we read the passage from Jeremiah 25 this morning, which is really a background to our beginning chapter in Daniel chapter 1. I trust this uh, series is going to be a great encouragement, has a lot to deal with uh, still future events, even beyond our own present day. Some have said, if you really want to understand the book of Revelation, better begin with the book of Daniel, uh, because Daniel kind of sets that background even for the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, we... uh, We are excited about this book that you're going to teach us from. Lord, it's just not all about future events, but some very practical things for our own day and for our own lives. But we would realize that we would be most foolish people if we try to understand this book simply from our intellectual perspective. And therefore, we thank you and we surrender to the teacher the Holy Spirit that resides in us as believers. May our minds and hearts be open and submissive that we would see the principles and we would worship you through obedience. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, chapter 1 talks about the preparation of a servant in a changing world. I used to say, many of you have heard me say this over the years, Get out of the boat. Get out of your comfort zone. Well, (laughs) I'm not sure you have to get out of your comfort zone. You are already out of it 24-7 for most of the time, I'm sure. It's a constantly changing world as we have never seen before. I remember vividly as a young boy, my cousin, who was about to become an Eagle Scout, got the hot idea that he would invite me, his cousin, to Boy Scout camp. Never been there. I went once and never went back. Why? Because I was out of my comfort zone. I had never been away from home overnight, except one time, and this was the second time, and that was enough for me. I didn't stay away from home anymore until I was in my later teen years. But that was a scary environment. Going to this Boy Scout, I mean, it was way back in the woods. I mean, there was nothing around it. And my parents were not there. My friends were not there. But, you know, my my cousin, Wayne, I knew him pretty well. But I thought, what have you done to destroy my life? And uh, the food was horrible. I jumped in the pool, not because I wanted to, but because they threw me in the pool. And uh, I had never in my life been in a pool. I'd been in the creek around the farm many, many times. That was my first professional pool. And I did not like it. It was not like fresh water at all. So my body reacted to the chlorine and I got hives all over me. And I just praised the Lord for that. Now, I wasn't a Christian, so that's stretching the word a little bit. But I was very thankful for God that gave me all those hives because I called up my daddy and I said, you come and get me quick. And uh, he did. (laughs) And uh, he immediately took me to the farm. And I remember that day, uh, all of my hives were solved because we were bailing straw that day. But that was a blessing, I tell you, rather than Boy Scout camp. But that was my first experience of being out of my comfort zone, and it was scary. You know, you and I as believers, we constantly are out of our comfort zone. We're going to walk into a world that is really changing tomorrow. People are changing. Ideas are changing. Our culture is changing. You know, I like it here. We all think alike, basically, scripturally, doctrinally. We like each other. It's just nice to shake hands with people you love and hug them. And uh, this, this is comfortable here. But tomorrow, at least in my world, most of you will be gone. And it's back out to a world that's really strange to me. It's strange to you. We learn a lot by the life of Daniel. You see, Daniel was living in a comfort zone. He's Jewish. He's living, he's probably a member of the royal family. So life is pretty good, pretty comfortable for him. But the Babylonian empire is coming down because of the sinfulness of Judah. And they're going to be taken away. Actually, there was three deportations. 606, 597, and 586. He was one that would go out in the first deportation back to Babylon. We know that as Iraq today. 
And so he was ready to be deported. He'd never been out of Israel before. He was going to people who talked a strange language. They were mean and nasty, and they didn't like Jewish people. This was really going to be out of his comfort zone. How did he react? How did he live through that? God is preparing him to be a servant of the true and living God. One of the things that we'll learn from this chapter, and we'll see indications of it throughout the book, is that God always prepares a servant. You don't instantly become a servant. God prepares us out of our comfort zone to be a servant of the true and living God. It is a process. Now, it doesn't mean that it always takes years. It could take weeks or months. But let me put it on a practical level. God is preparing you today by the events of this day, the circumstances of your life today. God is taking these and preparing you as a believer, as a disciple of Christ. He's preparing you and me for service this week. It may be two weeks from now. It may be a month from now. God specifically wants to use you. Now, He uses you every day. But He probably has a specific ministry that you don't even know about. But I tell you, the events of today, the people you talk with, how you talk, how you react to one another, how you respond to God is going to be essential to that ministry God has for you weeks, months, or even years down the road. That's how loving God is. Every one of us as believers know the care and concern and the love of Almighty God for you, or He would not have chosen you. And by choosing you, He knows exactly, He knows the end from the beginning, He knows exactly what He wants to do with your life and my life. And that's the reason why whether I see it today or I don't see it, it's so imperative that I surrender to Christ so that he can mold me for future ministries. This is what we're going to see very vividly in Daniel. In fact, the big point this morning that we want to surround all of our conversation about is simply this. God prepares a servant for a future time. This preparation is inescapable and incomprehensible. God's not going to allow you to avoid it. And God's not going to explain it to you. I would be most foolish if I get on my knees and pray, God, whatever you have for me in ten years, I want you to explain it to me right now so I can determine whether I like it or not. Well, God knows us so well. He knows what our reaction will be. Well, God, I can't do that. Lord, I'm not trained to do that. I've not been here. I've not been there. Lord, this is impossible. We'd start whining, so God just says, look, I'm not telling you. I will tell you this, trust me, and walk by faith. And I will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or what? The day I got saved in my backyard, nobody around me, but when I surrendered my life to Christ fully, if God would have said, you're going to spend 38 years of your life at Daniel's Bible Church, I'd say, "Uh uh-uh, that's in West Virginia, no way. You know how Ohio people are. You know, they don't like anybody south of them. That was my arrogance. God says, boy, if i got something to show you, I'm going to put you there for 38 years and you're going to love it. That's going to be the best place on earth. But see, it's taken experience. It's taken God's gentle care day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. So God makes it very simple. The just shall live by what? Faith. Can you trust God with your life? Can you trust God with your life? Are you willing to surrender God and trust Him unquestionably with your life? Or do you have to have a little piece of the action, like telling God how it ought to be? Well, let's look at Daniel. A few verses here of the historical setting. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He warred against it. The year is 606 B.C. Jehoiakim is is in his fourth year as king of Judah. 
Remember, the ten northern tribes have already been taken out into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Why? Just like we read in Jeremiah 25 this morning. They were taken into captivity because God kept sending the prophets and they kept saying, I'm not going to obey, I'm not going to obey, I'm going to rebel, I'm going to rebel. And God says, all right, after 700 years, that's it. I have told you and told you and told you that if I, I love you and you have disobeyed and I still love you, but I have to discipline you, and he took the ten northern tribes out. Two tribes remain for a little over a hundred years, and God continues to pour out his heart through the prophets, and they, they give the word of God. And as we read this morning, they kept saying, no, 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 no. Isn't that just like us? God just keeps teaching us the word through the Bible, through men who teach. And we have a tendency to just say, no, no. Well, yeah, that one's okay, Lord, but not this one. We want to be God so bad, and yet we can't. Because we're not him. And so here come the Babylonians. Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. I would like for you to remind yourself, maybe just by underscoring some words here, how powerful this passage is. You will notice in verse 2 of chapter 1, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. This is just not history. This is God's perfect history. It is the Lord God who is using the nations of the world to carry out His plan, His eternal plan. He knows the end from the beginning. And it was time for God to make His move as we see in history. This morning, some of you got up this morning and read all about Alabama, right? Does anybody care about Alabama besides Joey Beckett? Oh, I'm sorry, Joey. <laughs> Well, you probably watched some of the football games, and uh, you, I have to tell this on myself. Thursday night, I got home from leadership training, and I was a little bit tired, and I turned it on. I thought, what was it, 23, 21 to 3, 21 to 6? What was it in the fourth quarter? So, so I said, you know, the best thing to do is go to bed. Let's be, let's be sharp about this. This game is over with. And I got up the next morning, and on my computer got ESPN, and I thought, wow, now that's a miracle, God. Uh, but uh, And I can say I was quite happy about that. Sorry, Marshall fans. Uh, I, but uh, I was quite happy about that, as some of you were, I'm sure. But notice here, my point is this. When you pick up the newspaper every day, that which is truthful and accurate, now not all of it is, but what is truthful and accurate in any newspaper, you're reading God's eternal plan. That's what history is. And that's the difficulty today in our modern culture when we extract God from history. Well, history makes no sense without God. It's His eternal plan. And so we read here, the Lord gave, underscore that, the sovereign God working out His eternal plan, Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, was given to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Some of you would probably remember why he did that. Because Jeremiah wrote him a letter scolding him about his ungodliness. And the king, Jehoiakim, just took that letter, inspired word of God in that sense, and burned it. He was burning the prophet's words. And God says, you ought not to do that. And so here we find the first thing the Lord does is take Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and he puts him into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. His existence was not a happy camper after that. So, it goes on to say then, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. We'll read about that later in future uh, chapters. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, which is another way of saying the plain of Shinar, or Babylon, modern day Iraq, as we would know it. Why would he do that? Well, you see, the culture of that era was the fact is when you defeated another army and you took some more land, you would take the vessels that were in their house of God and you would take them back to your house of God in Babylon to prove that your God, the Babylonian God, was more powerful than the God of Israel. Isn't that rather sad? Isn't that sad? Sad about what? That Israel was so sinful 
that the vessels that belonged to God and honored God and worshipped God was taken and placed in a pagan temple. And blasphemed as the God of Israel is not as powerful as the God of Babylon. What about the church's testimony in the world? Do they believe that we serve a powerful God? I hope they do, by our actions and by our life. So he goes on to say, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. This was an insult to the God of Israel. In Daniel chapter 1, as we continue here in verses 3 through 7, more history. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, that's Nebuchadnezzar, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles. Why? Even though the scriptures is not distinct on that, there was probably historically three reasons why a victorious empire would bring back certain captives because they were going to deport all the all the Judeans to Babylon so they would need somebody that's familiar with them, spoke their language, knew their culture. So the first people to go out in deportation is Daniel and his friends that we will learn of in just a moment. Three reasons would be something like this. Daniel and his friends would be hostage taken so that those still left in Jerusalem among the royal family would be careful what they did because they had their children. That would make sense. It was a reminder to the king every day of his victory over the Judeans. And then he would probably use them, and we'll see the reason why. He would use them in the administration of the Jewish affairs. Guys, this is God. This is not some man dreaming up something. This is not Nebuchadnezzar doing as he pleases. He is under the hand of God, but he does not realize it. Isn't that true of us in our unsaved days? We thought we were so free. We were making our own choices. We could do what we want, and we were doing nothing but what God permitted. And God, for many of us, was taking us down a road to where we just hit a dead-end street and fell on our knees and professed him as our Lord and Savior. What Nebuchadnezzar was going to do was set up a total life training here, we will learn. There's going to be a spatial entrance of standards that you have to meet, a spatial diet, a spatial education, and even given spatial names. Let's see this in verse 4. In verse 4 we read, Youths, referring to Daniel and his three friends, Youths in whom was no defect. This is how you get into the program who were good-looking, they were physically sound, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. They were socially acceptable. They were allowed in to serve the king's court. And the king ordered him, or those who were under him who were governing this, as Aspenes was, And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. You see, this is a cultural revolution. This is taking Jewish boys and completely immersing them into another culture. Do you know what's happening in the world today? Our educational system is divorcing itself from any godness. And it's revamping a worldview to have a worldview that has no God. It's been going on for years. It's been going on for centuries. This is the reason why it's so imperative wherever you have, or wherever you are educating your children in whatever system it may be, as never before, parents, you gotta make sure God gets back into that worldview or it's all over with. It's impossible to do it without that input. He goes on to say, he said, who had the ability for serving in the king's court and he ordered him to teach them literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now comes the special diet. Verse 5. Probably it's not going to have any pork, but be that as it may. You know your Jewish history, don't you? No pork? Okay. Just so you don't go to sleep on me. 
The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. So there's going to be a training table, as some of us knew it from our college days. He goes on to say, special education, appointed that they should be educated three years. That's similar to ours, isn't it? Educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now he's going to give them special names. Watch this carefully. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel, which in Hebrew means, God is my judge, most of you know that. He assigned the name of Belteshazzar, meaning Bell's treasure, Babylonian God's treasure. Changing the name from the God of Israel, whom the parents had given to Daniel, to the pagan God. Watch what's happening here. He goes on to say, to Hananiah, which means in Hebrew, whom Jehovah favors, changing it to Shadrach, one who is illuminated by the sun God. To Mishael, who is like God. To Meshach, who is like the God of Venus. And to Azariah, which means Jehovah helped. To Abednego, the servant of the Babylonian god Nebo. A totally cultural immersion from A to Z. Now there would be some who would say, I got out of bed for this, a history lesson. God never does anything in history without a purpose. So when you and I read the Bible, even though it may seem like, oh man, do I need to read this? Yes, try to grasp an understanding of it. Because you're going to need to know that to draw a practical application for your own life. So in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, Daniel is being prepared. God Now, Nebuchadnezzar and his captains think they are doing this, and they have a purpose in mind. And God says, yes, I know that, but what you don't know is I'm going to use it for my good. And so here begins the training, the preparation. But Daniel, verse 8, probably the best we can tell, we can't be really exact, but he's probably 16 to 18 years of age, a young man, as we would understand. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food. Hmm. Now, Daniel, why would you want to do that? I mean, the king, if any place you're going to get a good serving, it's going to be at the king's table. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Well, you see, Daniel is under the Mosaic law. He's Jewish. It's God's law. There are dietary laws, ceremonial laws that he needs to give heed to. And so he says, just because you have changed my location from Jerusalem to Babylon doesn't mean that the laws have changed. Perhaps practically what it is saying to us, in church I do as church. Tomorrow I do as the world. Daniel didn't do that. How I act today and talk today is exactly how I'm going to live and talk tomorrow. Even though the culture will change. It'll be totally different from what I'm living in this hour. And so Daniel made up his mind. He determined that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food. Or with the wine which he drank. He was out of his comfort zone and he was not going to make an excuse. This is really relevant for today. Notice what he says next. So, he got his friends, the three other guys, and they said, Hmm, we Jewish. We're going to cause this country a lot of problems. So let's make our signs and let's have a little mini-riot. We will show this government that we serve God. 
Is that what Daniel did? You know, Jesus Christ came into a world of a Roman Empire, and as far as I know from Scripture, he never rioted against them. But as I've said in previous messages, I kind of get the idea that's what we as Christians are told that we ought to think about doing. Burning books, burning the Koran. What in the world is going on? It's completely foreign to Scripture, completely foreign to Christian life. And Daniel here puts it in perspective. He doesn't even have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, but not like a New Testament saint. And what Daniel does here in verse 8 is he says, so he sought permission from the command. That was his first task. Let's go this route. Let's seek permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. He sought to be under authority because that's God's way. From Genesis to Revelation, God, authority over man. Husband, authority over wife. Parents, authority over children. Government, authority over citizen. God just makes it what? Vividly clear. Now, in one's authority is never the excuse to be a dictator. That's the reason why God's going to give it back to Babylon a little bit later. About 70 years later, God's going to give it back to Babylon because they did become dictators. But Daniel learns a very important lesson, and that is, I am under authority to God. And how would God want me to respond to this? I'm going to ask permission. May I be excused from the king's table and the king's drink? Let's see what God will do. I'm sure Daniel's like the rest of us, and especially like teenagers, I'm sure it was difficult for him to make the decision to remove himself from the king's table. Um, Certainly that was true with my grandson while he lived with us a few months. There's not many table feedings that he backed away from. But be that as it may, Daniel here is saying, in other words, he saw the difference between preference and conviction. He could have rationalized this away and suggest that when you're out of one's comfort zone, I don't have to obey the law. When I'm with my friends, I don't have to pray for my meal. When I'm away from my friends, my Christian friends, I can act any way I want. Daniel didn't do that. And Daniel had one of the most fantastic, elongated ministries of any man or woman recorded in Scripture outside of Jesus Christ. Seventy years he served the Lord under two regimes, pagan regimes, Babylon and the Medo-Persians, ungodly people. And he served as a high-ranking officer in both of those. God's mighty hand. He could have rationalized that Hey, I didn't vote to come over here. God sent me here. It's not my fault. Look, if I, if I don't obey these things, they're going to take my head off, put me in the fiery furnace. It's kind of like the modern day preservation of life has a higher priority than obedience, doesn't it? Sound familiar? Or it could have been number three. He could have rationalized that if he didn't eat Gentile food, Oh, catch this one. If I don't eat the Gentile food and drink the Gentile drink, well, Lord, you wouldn't want me to put this guy that's over me in a bad position. This guy will get killed. And, Lord, I know you don't want my actions killing this guy. As if God couldn't handle it. That's kind of like the principle, love overrules God's law. I love this guy so much, I don't want to endanger his life, so I'll go ahead and violate the law of God. That's pretty down-to-earth, isn't it? You ever wrestle with those things? Sure you do. I do, too. In Daniel chapter 1 and verses 9 through 16, God again reveals his sovereignty. Because in verse 9 he says, And God granted. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't his parents. It wasn't anybody else. It wasn't his friends. It was God who granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of 
of the officials. It wasn't even Daniel. Daniel is obedient. God brought on the compassion and favor. Daniel did not go out and say, wow, am I not spiritual? Wow, look at me. Look what I caused. God granted Daniel the favor and compassion. In verse 10, God calls this, and the commander of the official said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king. You've asked for permission, but man, do you know what you're asking? I'm afraid that my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are of your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. That was a reality. So Daniel says, I never thought of that. Oh, I'm sure God would want me to jeopardize your life. I think God will understand. I can violate his laws out of the goodness of you. Is that what Daniel said? No. God always takes priority. God can handle the world. God can do as he pleases. And he will always do it justly and right. And so he goes on in verse 11 and says, But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Does those names seem a little strange to you outside of you mature Bible students? Isn't it interesting we grow up learning the Gentile names and not the God names? It must have really worked in the days of Babylon, right? And we, the world, pick up on it. Just a little tidbit, won't cost you anything, but maybe something noticeable. Verse 12, Daniel says, please test your servants for 10 days. Just put it to the test. For 10 days and let us be given some vegetables, or the word there means that which is grown from the ground. Test, just test us for 10 days to see if, if my, my request will not work well. And let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Verse 13, then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. What's Daniel saying? I'm asking permission and if it doesn't work out, then deal with us. Oh, wow. (laughs) Isn't that neat? That's how you witness to a world. Living a Christian life out of your comfort zone, which is most always, let God handle it. Do what is right, and you may have to pay a price for it. But be righteous. Be righteous. Be righteous. It's better to die in obedience than disobedience even as a Christian. You'd say, well, that's easy to say. Yes, it is. It's easy for me to say that. I don't feel endangered, I don't think, this morning. And when, if I ever have to face that dilemma, I hope I still think that way, and I will ask for God's grace to sustain me, and that he will give me the grace of martyrdom. as many who have gone on before us have asked. In verse 14, So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter. I love that. Obviously, you can tell. I love that. And then I looked at the Hebrew word, and it said, no, healthier. (laughs) Uh, Shame on me. Anyway, eating the kings that were fatter, healthier than all the youths, who had been eating the king's choice food. And so the overseer continued to withhold their choice of food and the wine they were to drink, and he kept giving them vegetables. Now, how did God do that? Don't have a clue, but he did it. And I really am not interested in how he did it and dissecting that. I'm just thankful it worked, and it works in our lives as well. I don't know how God gets unsaved people to look at our lives. I have not a clue how he does that. But does he do it? Yes. And that's okay. 
I don't have to write a book on God's method of how to influence the world. I just need to obey the book, the book, the Word of God. In verse 16, we find again that he continues to give them what they had asked for. Now, notice in verse 17. God continues to work in Daniel's life. And for these four youths, underscore this, God gave them what? God gave them knowledge. He gave them truth, intelligence in every branch of literature, insight, wisdom, ability to apply the insight. And Daniel even understood by God's direction kinds of visions and dreams. God is preparing Dan. He's giving him all the tools to do it. That's the point. What God has in store for you this week or next week or five years from now, God will always provide everything you and I need to accomplish that ministry for his glory. That's the point. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said, you Corinthians ought to go back to the Old Testament and not read that just as history. You ought to read it as practical applications for your very own, what? Lives. And that's what we're doing this morning. How does this impact me? Is it true history? Absolutely. What's the point? The point is, God says, I also have a ministry for you. I have a place where I'm going to use you spatially. Now, he uses this every day, but there's going to come a place, no doubt, in which God is going to use you to influence a person to Christ, to influence Christians, unsaved people, to make a difference. And you and I believe that by faith. But there's a preparation time, and the preparation time is miserable. Carl was sharing with the men this morning, his three years in seminary were miserable for the most part. Difficult. Wouldn't want to go through it again. No way. Was God doing something in his life? Why is it I hear these guys saying, if I, get, if I give them $58, they will release me from all of my difficulties in life? Why would I want to be released from all the difficulties in my life? That is what molds me to be used of God. Is it painful? Do I enjoy it? Not physically, most of the time. But it is right. This isn't heaven. It's planet Earth. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God using us for His glory. And here's the principles. Do that which is right and righteous. Verse 18, Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, that was the three-year period, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. It was a lineup. The king talked with them. And out of them all, out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians those who consult the supernatural powers and demonic forces, and the conjurers, those were the educators in Babylon, who were in all of his realm. And then verse 21 just kind of stands alone, folks, but it's very powerful. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. That was 70 years later. God just kind of attaches that in to Daniel's writings and said, Daniel was used of me for 70 years in high places. Like Joseph. Like Moses. Are you willing, am I willing to be a modern day Joseph? Moses? Am I willing to say, God help me, I will not compromise your truth. No matter what comes, I'm out of my comfort zone I don't feel comfortable here, but God, you didn't feel comfortable when you came to this earth as Jesus Christ and took on flesh. You were out of your heavenly comfort zone, and you did that that I might have life. Folks, we can't sleep through this stuff. 
if you and I cannot find a practical application for our lives, we're in another world. And it's a world that does not belong to Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is headed for some of its most difficult days in history. Only those who are asleep don't recognize that. We need a strong awakening to do at all costs what is right and righteous. Never looking back because our God is powerful. Never compromising his truth. No matter how many people ask us to change our minds at work or wherever, when we have the authority of God's word, there's nothing else to say. So help me, God, I will obey. What was our big point this morning? God prepares a servant for a future time. He's preparing you today. That's the joy of being a Christian. That's the reason why you want your children to understand this at the earliest age. God just doesn't come along and speak to you and me all every 30 days or maybe every 10 months. Every day, every day, every hour, He lives within us. He's preparing us by the circumstances of our lives, which is normally out of our comfort zone for a future ministry, a future time. And this preparation is inescapable. You cannot run from it because where are you going to run? Now you can disobey, but you can't run. And it's incomprehensible. You can pray now till the Lord comes and God will not give you any more information than you have right now about your future ministry. And God does that for a reason. Because he wants you to trust him unquestionably for every hour of the day. And tomorrow you and I are going to see things where we're going to say, uh-oh, this doesn't look comfortable. And God says, I know, but trust me. This doesn't seem right, God. I know that. It doesn't seem right from your perception, but it is. You see, the issue is, is our relationship with God. If our relationship with God is intimacy with him, then I don't have to worry about, is this right or wrong? It's always right or God wouldn't have brought it into my life. Well, let's take some lessons home with us this morning. There's at least four that I would encourage us before we leave. The lessons to be learned, number one, choices determine character. And character determines career. That's 180 from our world. Where our children are taught, you get with somebody, make a choice, and we'll make it happen. You choose your career. What good is a career without character? Let me ask it again. What value is there to your career if, it ha- if you have no character? Let me ask it again. What value is your job and what you do, which you may get lots of money for, and you get, might get lots of plaques, and you might be the big woman and the big man in the company, but what value is it eternally if you have no character? And Daniel had character. This is proven throughout every chapter. Daniel has character. He has God's character. Number two lesson. God's plan is inescapable and incomprehensible to the servant. I really don't want to know what God has for me for the rest of my life. My biggest concern is is being right and righteous with God. All the rest is Him. God's plan is inescapable. I hear people sometimes, and I, I think I know what they mean by that, but it's probably not the best of phrases. I ran from God for 40 years, and I finally relinquished my life to Him. You made 40 years of bad choices, but God was with you all the way. 
you cannot escape God. God was still using your life. You know, Pharaoh in Exodus, he did everything in his power to be harsh to the Israelites. Was God using him? Was God using him? It wasn't for the good of him, but it was the best for Israel. You see, you can say, okay, I'm going to run from God. I don't have to obey him. You don't. But that doesn't mean God's not going to use you. You see, the issue is, how do I want to be used of God? Do I want to be used for his glory, or do I want to be used as a pharaoh who always ends up in a dead-end street, dead? Number three, God prepares his servants for ministries today. God is preparing you for ministry today. It's not that, well, someday I'll let God prepare me for ministry. No. Preparation begins today for future ministry. And number four, adversity in life is never an excuse to run from God. There's no place to run. Everyone, it amazes me. It, it amazes me of my stupidity, and that's a lot of stupidity. I'm amazed of my foolishness. I'm amazed that I look for peace and comfort everywhere. I want a peaceful neighborhood. I don't want any problems from my neighbors. I don't want any interruptions. I want my wife to obey and be pleasant and to meet all of my needs and shut up. All right. Now, she knows. I want to go to work, and I don't want to hear the trash. I want peace. I want harmony. I want a nation in which I can just live peacefully and do as I please and not bother anybody. Where did I ever learn that? Can somebody help me out with that? Where did I learn that? That that was my right? And that was a possibility? We are what? Probably some 8,000 years into human history. Has anybody pulled that off? Did you know anybody's pulled that off? Not even Jesus Christ. Because he was submissive to the Father in a world full of sin. So anywhere you and I go, why am I always saying, I just want peace? Can't we just have peace? Yeah. You can have it all when you get to heaven. But you're not going to have it now. Why? Because God's still developing your character. And you can give your $58. In fact, I just heard the other day it went up to 77 I don't know why that was, but maybe there's something about seven are completed numbers or completion. I don't know. God says, in this, what did Jesus say? In this world you shall have what? Tribulation. Boy, I need to listen to the word, don't I? I need to listen to the word. Our peace and contentment is in whom? Christ. Not my circumstances. How shall we worship? How do we worship? Well, let's close. It is my response. Worship is my response to God who created me. It's the reason why he created me, to respond to him of who he is and to his truth that he has just revealed to me this morning. What do I do with this eternal, infallible, inerrant truth? What kind of a human being am I to say, I'm out of here? Really? Let's face the nuts and bolts. It's almost better to say, God, take a trip, than it is to ignore. Now, both in reality say the same thing. Let's all have character this morning. Whether we're saved or unsaved, let's have some character. And character is, God, I don't know you. I know I need to, but I'm honest, God. 
please help me to understand. That's okay. That's good. Won't get you to heaven. (laughs) You can't worship God, but at least you're being honest. That's what repentance is all about, being what? Honest with God. I repent, change my mind. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I need for you to wash all of my sins away and to give me new life. And for us as Christians, God, you know how to fix me. And I'm going to put all of my tools away. You bring your tools in, and you adjust me any way you want. That's honesty. And that's wonderful. Because even though we're out of our comfort zone and the world around us is caving in and we're getting most of the pain, you lie down at night and you thank him and you sleep. You sleep. Father, thank you so much for our opportunity to be here this morning. Oh, Father, thank you for writing through Daniel what we know to be the first chapter, the first 21 verses. Lord, it's so powerful about our lives today. And we actually see that applying these principles, Daniel served in high places for you. He was your ambassador for 70 years in two pagan empires who marked and influenced those empires. He accomplished your work. Now, we may not have that high position, but Lord, wherever you use us, you will not forget our work and labor of love. We thank you. We praise you. And we thank you, Lord, for an unsaved friend that may be here this morning. And they would say by how you have interacted with their heart and brought them to the place, Lord, that perhaps they would say, I don't comprehend it all but i know i'm a sinner i know i've offended god and i know he died for my sins and i know what it means to surrender lord change my mind change my life i don't know how you're going to do that but i don't want to be me any longer lord you take me from this point and make me what you created me to be for your glory father we believe it would only honor you if we took about 30 seconds here And we just sit in absolute quietness where we can hear you, your spirit probing our hearts, encouraging us, or maybe there are places where you're going to rebuke us, but it comes from a loving hand, your hand. Father, we will give you this time to reflect and worship you. Father, accept our worship. You have heard our response to you. Our lives are in your hands. And that we praise you for. In Jesus' name, amen.